those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Samantha Barksdale, and I've been at Equal Heights for like nine, ten-ish years. We started, um, actually I started serving in Awana. Oh, long enough that my first Awana group is now in this group. So if some of you, Gabby, <laughs> were in my Awana group. So um, it's really cool to see how the Lord just brings things around back in his time and in his season. And it kind of blows my mind. I like don't really know how we got here. And... Um, and I want to talk to y'all today about being devoted to the Father. Because sometimes in life, things are going to look like they're just falling apart. They are literally falling apart. And what the only thing that gets you through those times is being devoted. It's like, it's, it's really cool how the Lord just, you know, we don't talk about what we're going to talk about like the speakers, okay? So it's really cool how the Lord just makes all these messages tie together. It's like right now you're 13 to 18 years old. You see a scene from your life, but you don't see the whole story from beginning to end. It was really interesting is uh, I wrote in my notes, we're going to talk about the middle ground. And then Brock talked about the in-between. And... Um, and Pastor Payne talked about how you see scenes, but you don't see the whole story. And um, Pastor Josh talked about anointing and God's calling on your life. And devotion has a lot to do with seeing that calling fulfilled. It has a lot to do with it. If you are not devoted, you will not see God's calling fulfilled in your life. You will not. Because it is your choice. Like Brother Justin talked about the first night. It's your choice. And like Hannah talked about yesterday, what you allow in or you keep out is going to determine how devoted you are to the Father. But we're going to talk about why we should be devoted to him. So... I'm kind of a, a, a nature geek. <laughs> I really, I really uh, love nature. And, um, I mean, I don't, like, worship nature. We're gonna, some people did. That's in our scripture. Okay but, okay. but I like to go outside and just spend time outside and look around at God's creation and see. And it's really cool, y'all. I like, I like to watch birds. I'm a bird watcher. <laughs> and... Um, I grew up in the woods, so I'm kind of familiar with, like, bird sounds, okay? Well, a few years ago, I was outside with the kids, and I heard this sound. I'm like, what is that? I've never heard that bird sound in my life before. So I was going to demonstrate it for y'all, but it might be kind of weird. But I call back to it to see if it'll answer me. But anyway, so anyhow, I was like, I've got to figure out what it is. At first, I thought it was a baby eagle. And it's so far away, it lands in this, atop, the top of this dead tree on the top. So I got the binoculars, and I can see it has a white head and a little dark body, but it, he's not big enough to be eagle. I'm like, it has got to be a baby. So I, I called up 
uh, Tristan and Fabian, because like Fabian, he knows about stuff in nature. So I'm like, look, I think, asked Fabian, I had this picture that I took, zoomed in as much as I could get it sent. I'm like, do you know what kind of bird this is? And anyway, in the meantime, I figured out that it's called a Mississippi kite, which is a bird of prey, but it migrates. And so every year for like the last two or three years, it's come and landed in my tree. And then it calls out. And then in the winter, he goes away and he comes back. So he just came back, you know, right toward the end of spring. Well, y'all, I've never seen another one ever, never heard it ever anywhere else. Well, the other morning I walked outside and I heard it. I heard the bird call. I was like, Lord, are you kidding me? And I look up in this tree, in the top of a dead tree on the, across the street, and he's sitting up there. I mean, it's probably not the same one, but I'm just saying. Anyway, and it was so special to me because it was like, I just felt like the Lord just confirmed, like, I'm with you. Like, it, that thing really doesn't belong here, but it showed up in this place where I am. You know, and then uh, one other thing, <laughs> I told Hannah this the other night, uh, yesterday. So, y'all are going to think I'm so weird. All right, right before we had worship yesterday morning, I went in the bathroom. It was like the only quiet place. I was praying. I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me. And I, I'm walking around. I, I walk up to the mirror, and there's a insect sitting on the top of my head. And it's, uh, I thought it was a wasp. But I almost smacked it. But it was a dirt dauber, so I didn't. And it flew off, and it landed on the door. I was like, that is the weirdest thing. And the felt the, like the Lord just impressed upon my heart. I take dirt. I take, like, we're building the house right now, and, and the contractor said dirt is the cheapest thing you can buy. I take the cheapest possible thing. Like, it's under your feet. You pay no attention to it. And I take that, and I build a home with it because that's what a dirt diver does. Just goes around, collects dirt, and builds homes in the most unusual places, okay? And I was like, Lord, thank you that when I was a little girl listening to birds in the woods by myself, that you saw something worth picking up and making a home in. And that is God's story for your life. And it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you come from a really good family. It doesn't matter if your life is a total disaster. And last year, I shared about how my life was a total disaster. And so we're not going to get back into that. We're going we're gonna to move on. But the Lord can do that. And so anyway... I'm, I'm trying to get to the point. Who loves the beach? Anybody? Yes. Okay, here we go. I'm talking to the right crowd. So I love the beach, too, and I really love the ocean. And so I, um, I my kids like to watch Octonauts. Have y'all seen that show? Okay. All right, they go on little adventures in the ocean to save little creatures, and so there's some really cool creatures in the ocean, like the immortal jellyfish that, like, lives its whole lifespan, then can turn itself back into a baby jellyfish and live its lifespan again. I think that is the craziest thing ever. But anyway, so they were really excited when we told them that 
we were going to go to the beach this past April. So we went to the place called Topsail Hill Preserve in Florida. Candace, you can put up our picture. And so you can put up the next one and the next one. Do y'all wish y'all were there? Yeah, it was so beautiful. Okay, and you can see how the water is so clear. It's just so clear. And the deeper you get, it gets like a little bluer and a little bluer until it meets the horizon. And it's really blue there. And so I was just sitting there with my kids and knowing that I was going to be speaking to you guys. And I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to talk to the girls about how my love for them is deeper than the ocean. And I'm like, okay, Lord. Well, I've learned a lot about the ocean from watching Octonauts. And I'm going to share some of that with y'all today. So I made a few observations there. Okay, so we go to the beach and we enjoy the view. Let's enjoy the view of the third picture. Yes, we enjoy the view. And after that, we go back home. Okay, it, you don't stay at the beach unless you're really lucky and you live there. But we have to go there and visit, make a special effort. I had to drive five and a half hours with my kids in the car to get to that beach. It took a special effort to get there to that beach. We don't go every day. And when we come home, it just feels like this faraway place that we really love and we're really fond of, but we're not there every day. We're not there every day. And the tide goes out and it comes in. The ocean is always there. Whether we think about it or not, it's still there in Florida doing the same thing it was doing in that picture in April. It's, it's doing its job. The ocean is always there, yet it's always different every time the waves roll in. Three different pictures, one right after the other. It's different every time. A whole world, relatively undiscovered, lives throughout all of its depths. And as you move through the five zones of the ocean, its inhabitants change. And we, you know, we watched a snippet of this documentary about, about the planet Earth. And it talked about how the sheer physical power of the ocean dominates our entire planet. Whether you are aware of it or not. It, it forms clouds and it generates storms that water the Earth. And then it, the wind blows across it and makes these little breezes, these little ripples. And then those ripples, they rise up and they become these swells that crash down upon the shore. And all plant and animal life is nourished from the ocean, even on the land. The ocean currents that bring up the rich nutrients from the deep. You see the huge storms like Hurricane Barry, even though he wasn't really that big of a deal. Okay, but for us, at least. But anyway, out there when that tropical storm is out there swirling around in the ocean, it's not just raining for the fun of it. Okay, what happens is those currents are being tossed around. And what happens is 
all that rich nutrient that lives on the bottom of the ocean floor gets stirred up. It gets stirred up and brought to the top. And then everything else that lives above the very deepest part gets nourished by what's on the bottom. The ocean never rests. It never rests. It never stops rolling in and rolling out. And God is kind of the same way. You know, he is always active in the world and in, in, our, and in our lives, but we don't realize it. And we might be a little too busy to notice it or too busy with our own ambition or what we need to do or what we think is important to notice that he's actually always there and he's always working and he never rests. But he's always working for us. Because you see, what happens in the deep, it affects what happens on the land. And what happens in the invisible affects what happens in the visible. And as I was studying for this message, I was like, Lord, just confirm your word that this is the word for, for, for these girls. And right around the time of uh, Hurricane Barry that we saw coming in, I came across this scripture in Amos. And it says, it is the Lord who created the stars, the Pleiades and Orion. He turns darkness into morning and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. That's literally what happens in a hurricane. Do you think anybody in the Middle East, landlocked in Israel, had ever seen a hurricane? Probably not. They don't live near the Gulf of Mexico, you know? But they, they could not even see evaporation. Like they have the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, but they can't see evaporation. They can't see the water go up, go into the clouds, and rain back down. But something in the prophet Amos, the Lord put inside of him that he knew, this is how the world works, and this is how I work. And at the edge of the ocean shoreline, can we put back up our, our little picture? The waves are pretty gentle. You can sit there in the sand or you can stay way away from the water if you're not, you know, kind of getting into the water. But you can sit on the sand and it, it'll just wash over you. But you'll also notice that it's strong enough to wash the sand out from under you. And eventually you'll like be sitting in a hole. And you can go a little bit deeper, and it's still pretty gentle, but you can kneel down in it, and you'll be kind of submerged, but not really, a little unprepared, and one will come in, and it'll be strong enough to just smack you over. And you're like trying to find the ground and get your head out the water. Or you can go out a little bit farther, maybe on a boogie board, and kind of get like as deep as a swimming pool maybe and ride the ocean waves back in. But that's really about as far as most of us are going to go. 
You see, the ocean is strong and powerful and gentle at the same time. It's gentle enough for my four-year-old and my six-year-old to play along the shore. That's Faithy and Grayson. It's gentle enough for them to get in the water right there. But it's also strong enough to knock them over right there. The Lord is the same way. He's gentle. He loves us. But his love is really, really strong. And we don't really understand how deep it is. He's so gentle, ever constant, never resting, always working strong and powerful. But we treat our relationship with the Father like we treat our relationship with the ocean. We go visit him on Sunday. We might go visit him on Wednesday. We might go to youth camp. But we're going home. We don't live there. And we don't understand his love for us. And if we do have like a small glimpse of it, we're really kind of scared to go any deeper than that. So each of us kind of fall into a little category, okay? So how I'm going to, like, describe some people who have these type of relationship with the ocean. And in your mind, in your heart, just between uh, you and Jesus, okay, you're going to put yourself in a category, and you will know. You will really know which one you're in. So our first category is a beach bomb. I'm sorry, but you're not getting in the water, okay? You're going to bring your umbrella and bottle of water and a snack and your sunscreen or your tanning lotion or whatever you do, your blanket, and you're going to lay out on the beach. That's as far as you're going. You're not touching the water. That is those of us who just come to church, enjoy the view, like, I'm cool with what God is doing in everybody else's life. But I'm not actually getting in the water. I'm good. Our next people are waiters. See, like, Grayson. Faith, she would get in it if I was there. Grayson, he's like, oh, Mom, I'm getting out in these waves. I'm riding them in. The waiters, you'll get out in the water. You'll get your feet wet. You might feel free enough to like raise your hands and worship. You might, you might come regularly, Sunday, Wednesday. You come, you consider yourself a part of the church. You're like, oh, that's my church, okay? But there's really no heart engagement there. You're just coming because maybe your parents are dragging you there. And you got to go, okay? But you're really not wanting to go or you think it's expected of you and that's what you need to do. But it's not because you want to actually go. And then the next type of people are the surfers, okay? I didn't, <laughs> didn't know that Pastor Josh was going to mention our surfboarder, but he was a really great illustration of a surfer, okay? So your surfer... 
is your server. You come to church, you serve. You are at another level. Okay, a surfboarder, he has to have a piece of equipment. You cannot surf without a surfboard. And you like might get out there, ride the waves. You might get like slammed and you go underwater. But your surfboard, as long as you can find it, you're going to pop right back up. You're just at the surface level. You'll serve, maybe, because you're expected to. Or that's what all your friends do. Or maybe, hey, that's just what I do on Wednesday night. That's my routine, okay? But the next type of person is a diver, okay? A diver. And actually, a diver has to have a certain amount of equipment because you're going down to a depth that you cannot survive without this equipment, okay? You have to have oxygen and something to get the oxygen into your face so you can breathe it, to stay underwater at a sustained period of time. So you have a special type of equipment. These are the people who really actually have met Jesus. And they don't come to church because they're expected to, and they don't serve because they're expected to, or because they feel like they ought to, but they love the water. And they want to be in the water. And they want to have it fully surrounding all of them. These are your divers. And then you have your deep sea divers. Most people, you know, some people will scuba dive or snorkel or snuba. I learned that was a, a thing from Sarah. I didn't know, okay? Some people will do that. But most people are not deep sea divers. It takes special training, a lot more specialized equipment, and a real passion to see what is at the bottom of the ocean. See, we are over here sitting on the beach at topsail. But really where the Lord wants us is way down in the deepest part of his love. And he illustrates that for us in his word and in his creation. Can you put up the Roman scripture, please? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I hate to break it to you ladies, but today you have no excuse. No excuse for not knowing God. When you see him, when you make it, and you're standing before his throne, and he's going to say one of two things. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Because he's staying in those superficial levels is not going to get you to the heart of Jesus. And he's going to say, you never dove deep. You never dove deep, and I never knew you.
So what is the type of equipment that we must have to be a diver? First of all, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just enough to know about him. You have to be in love with him. You have to have surrendered to him. That is the second thing. You can't just know about him. You have to have surrendered to him. Number three, in obedience, in obedience, in every single area of your life. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect and you're going to get it right every single time. What I'm saying is that when you do something that is not in line with the heart of Jesus, you're like, God, I'm sorry. I humble myself in humility because I love you and I am not going to do it again because it breaks your heart and you love me. And how do you know what breaks the Father's heart? The fourth thing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us and help us and comfort us when we belong to Jesus in surrender and obedience. It is a full package deal. A diver cannot go swimming with only the oxygen tank. And he cannot go swimming with only the mask. He has to have all the equipment to go down to that depth and live. That is the only way to inherit eternal life. It's not enough to just know about Jesus, especially if you have been in KC since you were four years old. You know a lot about Jesus by now. You know a lot about him. But you can't just know about him. You have to know him. And you have to be surrendered and obedient and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you put up Ephesians 3? And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how high, sorry, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So you can look at, out at the stars, and you can see, wow, that's really high. And you can, you know, look at Mount Everest and say, that's really high. Re that's really high. It's like over 30,000 feet high. But do you really know how deep his love is? Does anybody know what the deepest part of the ocean is? Does anybody know the name of it? Mariana Trench. Who said that? Mariana Trench. The Mariana Trench is so deep at its deepest point, the Challenger Deep, that you could drop Mount Everest in the bottom of it, and the water would cover it by a mile. That is how deep the Mariana Trench is. There are very few people who have been down at that depth. 
because it's really dark down there. And it's deep down there. And it's kind of scary. Okay, there's a whole bunch of strange creatures that live down there. Okay? And, and when God wants to take you to that level, you're like, God, I am really scared. Because I don't know what's waiting for me down there. And I don't know what's going to come at me down there. And it's, it's really dark. I cannot see what you are doing right now. But that is where he wants you to be. It's extremely risky to go down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. It's extremely dangerous. The pressure is so great. Actually, most divers can only dive to 400 feet deep. That's like scratching the surface of the ocean level. Because the pressure is so great that it will literally shut down your body with the weight of the ocean. And most of us are really just content to not really go that deep because we might have to die to something in our lives. We are often reluctant to go to a place where we will have to be deeply submerged in him. It requires losing sight of the shore But this is the thing. However much you love the ocean will determine how willing you are to go down and explore its depths. And however much you love God and are devoted to him will determine whether or not you experience the full understanding of his love and the fulfillment of the full entire beautiful plan that he has for each one of you, how much you love him will determine whether or not you walk in the calling that he has on your life. And each of you have a calling on your life. You don't know what it is right now. You might kind of hope or wish for a certain thing. I've been there. When I was coming out of high school, I had gone to one youth camp. And it totally changed my life. Because I wasn't raised in church. And I was like, Lord, I really wish I could be a camp counselor one day. But I graduated from high school, went to college, met Justin. And he was in a different denomination than I was, okay? So I had to grow through that, okay? Grow through it. And my best friend in high school, guess what she did? She went on to be camp counselor at that camp that whole summer. And I was like, God, I'm never going to do that. My, I, like, went on, finished school, worked. I had to help my mom with the bills and stuff. So I couldn't just like up and leave. Worked two jobs most of the time through college. There was no time. And I thought that that dream was gone. (laughs) But here we are. We're four years in. 
We're four years in to Passionate Youth Camp. And God has fulfilled that dream that I never thought would happen. So what is devotion? What is this devotion I'm talking about? If you look in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster defines devotion as an active prayer or private worship, a religious exercise or practice other than the regular corporate worship of a congregation. A devotion is what happens outside of Sunday and Wednesday and your week at camp. That is devotion. The state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. Put up Psalm 119.38. The translation I have is a little different. I'm going to read this one to you, and I'm going to read the other one. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. In my translation, I have establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. And we're going to look at three examples of devotion. I'm just going to talk through these. I'm not going to put the scriptures up. But the first guy, his name is Achan. And if you've ever heard of the story of the Exodus and the children being delivered from slavery in Egypt, you know that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were not devoted to the Lord. They disobeyed him. They didn't trust him. And they complained about what was happening at the time. So they did not get to enter the promised land. They waited 40 years for a whole generation to die out. And the children that they said, they accused the Lord. They said, we're not going to take that land because you're not going to take care of our children. Our children are going to die. And he said, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to your children. You will not enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. The only two men who were actually devoted to me enough to trust me. All of the rest of you are going to die in the wilderness. But your children who you did not trust me with are going to see that promised land. So that's exactly what happened. They wandered for 40 years. Last person dies. It's like, okay, it's time to take the promised land. So they go. Joshua's leading them. They march around, capture Jericho. Amazing victory. All right, Jericho is a big city. But God said, look, there's stuff inside the city that's devoted to me. That's the devoted things. And you don't touch them. The silver, the gold, none of it. You leave it. You burn it, actually. (laughs) It belongs to me. You put it in my house. Why? Did God need it? No. Does he need your tithe? No. He owns everything. Okay? It's not a matter of what God needs from us. It's a matter of are we just going to be obedient to him? He was just testing them. Are you going to trust me? So look, it's like a lot of people. Some people think it's like 2 million people. Okay? 2 million people walk around this city. Walls fall. They go in, take the city. 
They have all the devoted things collected. They go on about their business. Next town, AI. And they're like, this is a small town. Like, this is nothing. We don't need to, need to send the, that many people because we're just going to take this. And we're going to be done. Well, guess what? They suffered a great defeat in that tiny little town. So Joshua goes before the Lord. He's like, God, what happened? You promised me that you were going to be with me. You told me to stand firm and have courage. And I did. And you know what the Lord said? There's one man, one man out of two million people who took what was devoted to the Lord and kept it for himself and hid it in his tent at his house with his stuff. So guess what they do? They line up all these people and they separate them into families and they break them down. So you're like with your great, great, great grandpa, okay? And they broke it down, broke it down, broke it down, broke it down. So now you're with like your grandparents and your cousins and your aunts and uncles. Broke it down. Okay, it's one family left. It's you and your parents. I was like, okay, which one of you took the devoted thing? And what's really interesting is that Achan, you know, he could have at any point just confessed and said, I did it. I'm sorry. I repent. It is the Lord's. I don't want it. But he didn't. He just kept it. He kept hiding it. But the Lord knew. See, you can hide stuff in your house and in your heart. And you might hide it from your parents. They may never know. But you cannot hide it from God because he knew. And do you know what happened to Achan? They stoned him and his family. And then they burned everything that belonged to him. Because your sin and your lack of devotion affects more than just you. And you don't even realize it. And you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to just confess and repent and be free, but you hang on to it like it's actually going to do something for you, but it's just going to be burned up with fire. It's going to do you absolutely nothing. Our next two people, David and Solomon, you know, David loved the Lord. He was so devoted to God. He messed up really bad. And he killed somebody on purpose, but immediately confessed and repented and said, Lord, I have done wrong. Please forgive me. And the Lord said that David loved the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart, even though he really screwed things up in his life. And he took great, he's like, Lord, I want to build you a house. You're so good to me. I want to build you a house. And so God said, you're not going to be the one who's going to build my house. You just get all the stuff together. Okay, you get the stuff. You lay the foundation. You prepare the way. But your son is going to build my house. 
So David was very faithful and very particular about getting his stuff together, okay? Maybe you have parents who are very faithful to the Lord. Every Sunday, you're going to be at church. It's not a question. You better not whine. You better get yourself up and get dressed. It's not even a question. But you know what? Solomon, his son, he started out really good. He built the Lord's house. But, you know, the Lord had a commandment for kings. And all of us really... He established it in the beginning. He said, one man, one woman. That's my plan for marriage. That's it. And it is good. It is really good. But Solomon had 700 wives. And he loved his wives. But the real problem is that his wives did not even love God. They worship other gods. They worship the two most detestable gods of other gods that people worship. One of them required, required child sacrifice. Do any of you want to be a child sacrifice? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, who does that? Okay. And Solomon sinned, and the Lord was very displeased with him. Because he did not obey the Lord with all of his heart. It does not matter if you have the greatest, most devoted Christian parents in the entire world. It's going to get you nothing. If you are not personally devoted to Jesus. Speaking of, he's our last person that we're going to talk about. And he was up in heaven, okay? He's like, I'm good. But the problem is that we're all dying down here, okay? And so God's like, I need to have a rescue plan to save these crazy people who just won't listen to me. So he's like, look, I really love you. But somebody has got to cover this sin. And either they're, every single one of them are going to die and pay for it. Or just one perfect person can die and pay for everybody. And Jesus like, okay, I will do that. And, and Jesus said, he quoted from the law, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, yes, I'll go. And he was born in baby form, raised up, became a man. He had a choice to make. And he was in the garden. And he was crying. And he cried so hard that he was bleeding. And he said, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he was devoted to the Father's plan, even though it was going to cost him his life. And he was devoted 
to you, even though it cost him his life. We must be devoted to the Father. Like Jesus was devoted to the Father. And we must be devoted to one another. Like Jesus was devoted to us. Put up Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Romans 12.10. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. In another translation, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Philippians 2, 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of himself as equal with God, as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his rights. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, the Lord is not pleased when the, pe- the people that he strategically puts together to love and serve one another actually destroy one another. Each of you should have a heart that works toward unity with the body of Christ. And when each of you thinks of the other person as more important than yourself, you will stop being so focused on yourself and you will actually be loving other people. Loving is going to cost you something. Being devoted is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you laying down your life, what makes you comfortable, some things that you're doing, some friendships that you have, some boy interests that are not pleasing to God at this point in your life. And it might cost you very dearly. I had a friend, we went to high school together. We weren't really friends in high school. But we went to college together, ended up at the same university, and then actually transferred back to the same university. And she was actually the reason that I went on to become a speech therapist. She gave me 
when you told me about the program, I was like, I think that's what I want to do. And I was really good friends with this girl, really good friends with her. And I love her. And she asked me to be in her wedding. And I had to tell her, I can't. I can't be in your wedding. Because there's going to be things there, things that are okay in your life for you. You think they're okay that are not okay with me. And I had been, she kind of knew where I stood on some things. But when it really came to the true test, who was I going to love more? Her and her friendship or God and devotion to him? And I had to tell her, I'm sorry, but I cannot be in your wedding. I still went to the wedding. I had gone to school with both of these people that got married. Love them dearly. Still, I love them. But I have not seen them except maybe three times since they got married. Because after that line was drawn, we separated. And I think about her all the time, and I pray for her. But I have got to be devoted to the Father when it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. She was devastated. But what she allowed in her life and what the enemy was using to tempt me with in her life was going to destroy God's plan for my life. The only time I ever drank alcohol was with her. One time. I tasted it. I tasted it. I gave in. She's like, just taste it, Sam. It's just wine. Just taste it. I was at her house down in New Orleans. Okay, I will. It was disgusting just in case you're wondering. Immediately, the Lord was like, why are you doing this? Why? You don't belong here. And I was miserable until I got out of New Orleans and came back home and said, I will never put alcohol in my mouth again. A lot of people think that it's okay they think it's okay. It's just a little thing. It doesn't matter. A lot of Christians think it's okay to get slammed. It's not. It will destroy you. In Justin's family, in my family, there is a long history of addiction. What about my babies? What if I was an alcoholic? Where would my babies be? It does not belong in your life. I'm going to tell you something else that does not belong in your life. 
when God created the world, after each day he said, and what I have made is really good, really good. Can you put up Genesis 2? So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God, took, God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Put up the next Genesis scripture. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Does anybody in here like soccer? There's nothing wrong with liking soccer. Basketball, football. I don't care if you're a sports fan. But when I watch the news, and I see a headline that in all lesbian team or majority or you're okay with it team, won that game for the United States, and that's what they represent as this country. And they have a lot of other things that go with their platform. And all of a sudden, their team captain is like some big celebrity. And all these people are just flocking after her. And she's like, equal rights for women. They deserve to get the same pay. Equality. Freedom. I am an American. Freedom. Justice is not the same as lawlessness. Justice is not the same as lawlessness. Just because a person says some things that might be good, equal rights for women, give them the same pay, so what? But you are living a sexually immoral life. And you are going straight to hell. That is what God's word says. I cannot change what the word says. And I am not scared of what God's word says and not scared to be vocal and tell you about it because I have to love you and to be devoted enough to you to tell you the truth. You can be good at sports. But you better use it to glorify God. And if he made you really good at sports, you better love him more than you love the sport. Or the grades. The college scholarship. The friends. 
the music, the TV show, whatever it is. You better love God more. And there was a girl. I got this email from American Family Association. I shut my phone down. I was going to read it to y'all. But this news reporter said, she is undoubtedly the best defender in the country. The best defender in the country. She should have been on that team. She should have helped win that game. She could have been a part of that. But they called her homophobic. She's scared of people who are lesbians. Not the case. She's not scared. She is not scared. Because you know what she said? She got called up in 2017, invited to come play on this team. And the team said, look, during Gay Pride Month, we're going to wear rainbow jersey, everybody. And she said, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. I do not agree with that. That is contrary to God's word. She told the news media, I prayed for three days. And I must be devoted to the Father. I must surrender to him, even if it costs me winning the biggest title of my life. She was willing to give it up. And let me tell you something. They got their trophy. It's going to burn. She got her crown. It's everlasting. I said, I said to myself, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Taylor Swift this year. I'm going to leave her alone. I'm just going to let her be. But, you know, Taylor Swift, oh, man, she, I read, oh, first of all, I hate Apple Music. I have a love-hate relationship with Apple Music, okay? But when you switch to, like, accidentally flip over to, like, the For You page, and it's got all this stuff that I don't even listen to, all this secular music or whatever, I'm like, I don't, li- do, do you see my playlist? I do not, can you figure me out yet? You know when I start my car, where I'm going, you pull it up in my maps. It doesn't matter what day it is. I'm like, how does it know? How does it know that I'm going to church today? That is so creepy. But you can't figure out what kind of music I listen to? And so there she is in all her glory and her new song. You just need to calm down. I read these comments about this song. Oh, Taylor Swift, she wrote this song. It's an anthem for gay pride. I read all, like, all these comments. The Lord, like, I felt like I'd been sucker punched in the stomach. Oh, she shut down. Anyone who's homophobic, anyone who is sexist, anyone who thinks that men are better than women, anyone who thinks that women should not be elevated to some high place in society. It is an anthem. 
She said that all those people are living in the dark ages. Why do we tell y'all? Why do we tell y'all you don't need to listen to secular music? Let me ask you something. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Where is the line between this artist can sing about this thing and she can also sing about this thing and I'm okay to listen to this stuff, but I'm not going to listen to this stuff. That's most people's mentality about it. But you see, it all comes from the same person, the same spirit. And it influences you. And you don't even realize it. She is shaping a culture with her music. And every single person in agreement with her. And if you are listening to it, you are in agreement with her. Because you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. It's one or the other. There is a clear line. But you give your heart to it just a little bit. I'm only going to listen to this stuff. But then you're with your car. You're in your car with your friends. And what are you going to say? I don't listen to that Taylor Swift song. Why not? How are you going to tell them? It's okay for me to listen to this, but it's not okay for me to listen to this one. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's what they're going to say. And then they're going to criticize you and call you homophobic and say that you're living in the dark ages. Draw the line. And don't cross it. This is not a new thing, people. This is not a new thing. You know, Pastor Payne mentioned this book the other night, Common Sense, written by Thomas Payne, 200 years ago. He wrote this amazing book that influenced a whole culture. One of the main reasons that the United States is the way it is today in a Republic, democracy, we have freedom, etc. Okay? Freedom. But later on in his life, he wrote another book. It was called Age of Reason. And I was reading through this book by Ari Tori, How to Pray. It was written in 1900, so 119 years ago. And he says, Thomas Paine is spewing lies in his book, Age of Reason. I'm like, hold on a second. I've got to find out what this thing says. I thought Thomas Paine was like an amazing person. He wrote Common Sense. It's one of the most influential books in history. So I started reading Age of Reason. I'm like, hold on. A, second. See, 
Thomas Paine believed in God the creator, but he was like, that's it. Jesus, he was not God. He can't save anybody from their sins. He was just a man. He did some good stuff. That was it. You know, Megan Rapinoe, she says, I stand in the name of freedom. There is no right. There is no wrong. There's no right and there's no wrong until you are the one that has been violated. So what happens in the LGBT community, T for transgender? Just hypothetically, they all have rights, equal rights. What happens if the U.S. women's soccer team goes up against a whole team of transgender men who are women? They are women, and they get slammed. Why? Because men are genetically made different than women. It is a huge controversy right now. Genetically, men, genetically, they're men participating as girls in a girls' sporting event, and they are winning. What are you going to do when you lose your World Cup? They have equal rights. Justice is not the same as lawlessness. Do you understand what I am saying? You cannot have a free-for-all and call it freedom. Because at some point, you're the one that's going to be violated. Then you're going to be the hypocrite because you're the one who said there's no right and there's no wrong. But there is. And God said the right and the wrong, his plan for it, his original plan for it, that is what was good. The way he created things to be is what was good. I'm going to close out. We're going to look at Ephesians 3 again. And may you have the power to understand that is what my prayer is for you. That you would have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. Your calling, you will fulfill it. And power that comes from God. I wanted to say one more thing about being devoted to each other. You don't have time. You don't have time to have selfish, petty arguments about stupid things that don't matter. 
Do you understand me? Because there are going to be things in your life that you are going to need these girls for. If you don't ask, if you don't believe me, ask the youth leaders. Ask them. I love my friends. Why? Because we are raising the next generation in a lawless world. And it takes women created in the image of God to stand up and say, I am so devoted to you, God. And I am so devoted to these people that you have put in my life. I'm not just crazy out here when I say my kids can't go see the next Toy Story movie. I'm not just some crazy parent. When Candace says, hey, Sam, the kids don't need to see that. Okay. I take her word for it. I don't need to ask why. I take her word for it. When you have a friend who comes to you and confides in you with something that they're going through, there is an appropriate way to handle difficult situations. Your other friends do not need to know. They do not need to know. If they're in danger, you go to your parents. If you don't have godly Christian parents, you come to a youth leader. You tell them, I think she's in danger. If she's just having a a struggle with something that maybe is not a huge deal, she's not in any danger, she's like, look, I'm really trying not to, something simple, I'm really trying not to listen to this music anymore. Can you hold me accountable? Keep it to yourself. Learn how to have discretion. That is what the Holy Spirit is for. But whatever you do, don't tell your other friends. That is what faithfulness and trustworthiness is. You must be devoted to one another. And if your friend is doing something that is going to destroy her, and you know about it, and you say nothing to try to intervene and save her life, you're going to be held responsible. I'm sorry. If you don't tell them the truth, what happens to them is partly your fault. Because you didn't love them enough to tell them. I'm not saying that they're going to listen to you. But you have got to tell them. If I don't tell you the truth today and I let you leave out this room without telling you the truth, then what happens to you is on me. It's partly my fault. 
be devoted enough to tell the truth, to tell the appropriate person, and to keep your mouth shut. And be devoted enough to God to leave behind anything that is interfering with his plan for your life. Because what you do in your house and your heart affects more than just you. I'm going to call the youth leaders up. Y'all can go ahead and come up. And we're just going to take a few minutes. If you have anything that you need to confess, repent of, get out your life, we're going to give you the opportunity. If you haven't taken care of it this week, don't keep carrying around with you. Don't keep living in the shame that comes from something that you know is not right. Get rid of it. It's like Pastor Kevin said on Sunday. Stay, pray, cast away. Stay in God's family. Stay in church. Stay where you're supposed to be. Pray and ask God to help you. Then throw it away, whatever it is. And don't look back. Stand to your feet. If anyone needs to come forward, we're here for you guys. We love you guys. Y'all do not know how much we love y'all. Y'all do not know how much we love y'all. And y'all do not know the passion that burns within us. Why do we do this? The passion that burns within us that says, Who's going to be the youth leader team when faith is in youth? Who's going to answer the call? Who's going to lead our babies? Who's going to lead your babies? You answer the call with every choice you make. The altar is open.